Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. As part of our mini-series from the Global Climate Conference, COP28 in Dubai, today I am joined by social impact pioneer, Sherry Hickok. Sherry is a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader. She is the Chief Executive Officer of Climate Impact Partners, who are one of the leading and longest established organisations in the voluntary carbon market. Today, we are going to talk more about what exactly a voluntary carbon market is and how they can reduce carbon and why their bumpy beginnings could be maturing. Sherry joined Climate Impact Partners from GE Renewable Energy, where she was VP and CEO of the international onshore wind business. But She joins us today to explain why you don't need to be a high-flying carbon devotee to be part of our move towards a greener and hopefully fairer world. So, Sherry, hello. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining me today. Katie, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Ah, total pleasure. Now, we are sat in Dubai. The heat is uh, rising and we're here for COP28, along with what seems like a lot of other people, but clearly not everybody in the world. Can you paint us a bit of a picture? How are you finding COP this year? Have you been here before? What do you like? What does it feel like? Uh, it's a great question. So this is my first COP in person. I did attend one previously, but virtually. And people say this is the largest COP, 70,000 attendees. So and really spread across a huge area. So they talk about the blue zone and the green zone. And, you know, basically there's literally hundreds of buildings where countries are set up, NGOs are set up, businesses are set up, and and they're all set up to create conversations around solving climate problems. So I find it quite inspiring to be around so many people focused on how do we actually solve this challenge of climate change and quite exciting. And so what's brought you here to that point? You know, why have you made the trek? Where have you come from in order to be here today? And, and what are you hoping to kind of get out of being part of the, as you say, 70,000 people who have descended on the kind of COP experience? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So, you know, I work for Climate Impact Partners, as, as you know, and we participate in the carbon markets. And so what we're doing is we're looking for corporates and private investors and governments who are leaning into solving climate by making sure we're investing through climate finance or or essentially funneling money into projects on the ground in developing countries that are most impacted but least responsible for climate. And so I'm here to talk to people about that. You know, there's investors that are looking to figure out who are the right project developers to be working with. There's corporates figuring out how do they help support these developing nations and governments, both governments that are impacted on the global south and the developing side, but also in the developed nations saying to help these countries. And so my goal today 
is to find more people who want to lean in that we can partner with to deploy those finances to drive real change through projects that help us avoid new emissions or remove current emissions from the air. And tell me about carbon markets, because it sort of, it sounds like a simple phrase, but I haven't got a clue really what, what does that mean? Tell me about like, what is a carbon market? Are people interested in this sort of stuff and, and how's it sort of shaping up? So the, I'll specifically talk about right now the voluntary carbon market and what that is. And uh, Climate Impact Partners has been a leader in, in this space for more than 25 years. And we've helped companies use the voluntary carbon market to make progress against their sustainability goals. And when we say the carbon markets, it's literally, I'll, I'll give you an example of a carbon project, because I think that's the easiest way. People just say, okay, it's planting trees. Um, that's one example, but it's much broader than that. So fundamentally, we know we need to avoid new emissions and reduce current emissions that are already in the air. And trees can do that. So we'll, we'll just stick with trees as one example. But it's not just about putting trees in the ground. It's about designing projects that have a solid baseline. So we know how much removal is happening in a certain space that could be a geographic space and how much would be removed in the future when you make some net change. And this net change may be planting types of trees. And so we have a project that's doing agroforestry in Indonesia. And what we do there is we're planting um, around 3 million trees across five areas of Indonesia. And if, if you know Indonesia, or if you don't, I encourage you to look at a map, but it's spread across multiple islands in a small space, but really, really spread out in, in a challenging geographic environment. But we're not just planting trees. We're working with a partner there to deploy a project that's building out nurseries, that's creating jobs, that's um, putting fruit trees in the ground that enables communities to have increased financial revenue for the future and really increasing the value of their land. We're bringing water to, you know, nurture these trees, but water that can help them on their property for, for other crops, for other items, and, and really for just their own use. These are the types of projects that the voluntary carbon market can deploy. And a corporate or a private investor or now governments can come in and invest in these projects to make an impact. And they can either take those carbon credits that come from that project, that delta on the removals in this case, and, and they can potentially count it towards their emissions from a compensation perspective, um, netting off a global carbon footprint, if that makes sense, or just contribute to these projects because they know it's the right thing to do. Sounds too good to be true. But um, so, so just checking in, so for some might have heard about sort of carbon offsetting, is this the same or is it different? And then if it is sort of, potentially too good to be true. What are the potential downsides to it? What, what's the, the challenge with regards to scale? So this can be considered offsetting if people want to essentially literally offset their own emissions. Okay. But not everybody is treating it that way. Some are just doing contributions. They know it's the right thing to do again towards this um, global net zero. Governments are doing it to meet their nationally determined um, contributions or their NDCs from a country perspective meaning they've committed to certain targets as we head towards 2030, 2050, the real target for net zero and a reduction of 42% of emissions um, by 2030, which the IPCC has stated. But offsetting has gotten a bad rap. And offsetting has gotten a bad rap because there, you know, this is not an easy space. 
there are certain things that we look for to call a carbon project good or of high quality. And that's this baselining I talked about. So how do you know where you're starting from to know what activity, to know what the activity you do makes a difference or how much emissions does it avoid? That's one. The second is the reason we're putting money into these projects, carbon finance money, is the assumption is this money is additional, meaning these projects wouldn't happen if this money wasn't flowing. And I can give you some more examples of what that could look like. In this example in Indonesia, the farmers don't have the funds to buy these trees or invest in this water irrigation, these nurseries, et cetera. So this carbon finance enables that. And then you have things such as permanence. So will this activity maintain over time, which secures that these emissions don't return to the atmosphere. These elements have been evolving over the last 20 years and plus around methodologies. And there's been feedback on the market around, you know, are these projects really having the impact they are meant to have? And there's a a lot of discussion point on that. So there's questions around offsetting, but at the same time, we see real impact in health and livelihood and, and really protecting our nature and biodiversity, which is being highly impacted in a negative way through climate change that these projects do support. Interesting. Thank you very much. I feel like this is sort of 101, 101 uh-huh. in, in carbon offsetting and, re, and, and carbon markets and therefore uh, super useful. Thank you. And, the, and therefore, you mentioned it a bit before, some of the kind of potential deemed negative pieces. I remember having a conversation with an incredible man who was at the time, the chair of the Welsh-speaking Farmers' Union. And he was very concerned about some of the kind of coming in and planting vast swathes of trees would take away a quality farming land, but also the livelihoods of farmers, because trees don't need farming, and the the output in terms of value to the communities is, is long term. How do you go about thinking about the work that you're doing, the projects that you're investing in to make sure that everybody's included, to make sure that there is value to communities as part of that? You know, these projects aren't simple because each community is different. Each activity we're talking about is different. But what we need to do first and foremost is work with the communities on the ground to understand what they value, where where they need, you know, increased value and how we support. So for example, When you design these projects, and this is really, really important, you have to take into consideration what's happening in that space today. What is the native activity? That could be the native trees. It could be the usage. And then how do we evolve that? Because the whole whole idea exactly to this farmer's point is we need to help them either transition to a different way that has both value and supporting the farmers and their livelihoods while also doing the emission reduction. And also think about how do we have long-term value coming back to them for this work? Or that's often done through commercial frameworks, which you know, I was just chatting with some people here at COP last night on how we continue to evolve and think about that. So you know, the carbon markets are predicted to grow by anywhere from three to seven times by the end of the decade. And the price of carbon, which is today around an average of $10 per ton is predicted to go you know, at a low end to $80 per ton by 2030. How do we make sure that the communities are getting their share of that? And how do we make sure that they're incentivized to protect this activity, whatever that may be, and that, and that they, they see real value from that? And you know, I'm not giving you necessarily specifics, and, and we can go into this more, 
But it is about job creation. It is about finding ways to create that livelihood. And it is making sure that the finances flow back to the communities. And it's most importantly, it is working in partnership with the communities to designing that the right way for the, from the beginning. This isn't just about emissions and reductions. This is truly about driving impact to those most impacted by climate through funneling the finances to them on the ground. Interesting, Sherry, thank you very much. And for anybody listening, if you've got feedback on any of these pieces or you want to add comments, we'd love to hear them. This is a community. We want to support each other. And so we'd love uh, your insights on that. And, and Sherry, hopefully we can put some of the links to the work that you're doing and, and some of those projects and insights into the words that sit alongside the podcast so that people can delve more into it and indeed potentially uh, contact you and, and sort of start that conversation. Sherry, I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind me sort of prying a little bit. So when we were talking a little bit before starting to record this, you were saying how actually you're quite new into the carbon space. Can you tell me a bit about your own journey, just for anybody listening in terms of actually how do you start getting into, if you are interested in contributing to solving our massive problem that is climate change, (laughs) maybe not solving, but contributing positively towards it. What's your journey and and what would be perhaps your advice to others who might be listening to this? Katie, my first point of advice is that the carbon markets or climate or sustainability, whatever area in this space that you think you're, you're interested in, it needs you. And the reason I say that so frankly and so bluntly is this is just another business space like any other. We need accountants. We need engineers. We need digital tech people. We need marketers. We need people on the ground translating. And we need climate scientists. So we need all of the above. And I think for anybody who's interested in it now more than ever, there is a way to navigate some form of your role, if not the whole thing, into the sustainability and climate space. For me personally, I grew up 22 years in automotive working for General Motors. I am a mechanical engineer by degree and really had the wonderful blessing of working for that company where you know, I, I learned how to design parts and break parts and design products and build products. And that gave me such a great foundation of operational excellence and overall program management. And I was able to use those skills to actually move me closer to impact, which was at GE, where I worked in the onshore wind division, where we were designing, selling and building out wind farms over the last six years as the clean energy transition has really just exploded. And this opportunity came up for me to lead climate impact partners with the request of, and the opportunity to use all of those operational skills, those business skills, those project execution and implementation skills out in the field to help scale both climate impact partners and drive operational excellence from my seat into the voluntary carbon markets. So it is really finding where your skills are needed, but I'm I'm telling you, they are needed if you just look around. You've heard it, kids. <laughs> we need you. Everybody needs you. The planet needs you. And and therefore, so where are you hopeful? What are you working on that you're kind of most kind of, this? We've got something here, and and we need to kind of really double down on it. Yeah, there's you know there's probably three things I'm really hopeful about. The first is you know we talked about some of the negative perceptions in the voluntary carbon market. We also talked about the high impact of those and what's happening right now. And literally there's launch after launch of new announcement is in the voluntary carbon market. There's a few initiatives that are 
cross industry um, to really bring some more of this transparency to show how we're doing some of the things I described in the market versus around claims and how corporates can transparently make claims on the work they're doing. So an organization called the Voluntary Carbon Markets Initiative is really setting that out. And it's tied to what are the targets, the science-based targets the corporates are making, how much action are they taking to decarbonize their own footprint? Because remember, you should always be decarbonizing as much as you can on your own so you're not emitting new before you're focused on, on doing other types of carbon investments and really bringing transparency to that. So that's a great new activity to helpfully level the playing field of how people are talking about their carbon um, investments. The second is the Integrity Council for the Voluntary Carbon Markets, or ICVCM. And what ICVCM is doing is they're looking across the methodologies. So there's standards and methodologies. And a methodology is how you design carbon project. And there's, there's many of these methodologies, but they're looking at them to say, are they up to snuff? Are they of the right quality and standard to say, if you follow this methodology, you'll go to get a good project out the back end. They're launching the ICVCM, something called the 10 Core Carbon Principles, and they will be quote unquote, stamping with approval methodologies, which I think will also bring more trust and transparency into the market. So that's one thing that I'm really hopeful you're seeing the market come together because though there are these perceptions, we know the reality is we have to make change and we have to do it quickly. And, and the carbon markets are a way we can do it today. The, the developing countries are standing up for themselves. So I love the energy that Africa is bringing and has been bringing since the African Climate Summit that they had earlier this year. You know, when you look at Africa and really the, the developed nations, one of the areas I'm most passionate about is clean cooking. So what most people don't know is that one in three people in the world do not have access to clean cooking. And I'll just give a small description. I think maybe many of your listeners have gone camping or had a campfire. And it's essentially like putting a campfire in your home and closing your doors and windows and then cooking on it. I think you can just imagine what that would do from just your breathing, your air quality, et cetera. Over 4 million people a year die from the lack of clean cooking. That's more than malaria, tuberculosis, and HIV combined. And there's, there right now is a tendency to lean away from activities such as eradicating the lack of clean cooking, but carbon finance can do this very simply. A clean cook stove or an electric cook stove can cost about $50. When you bring carbon finance into it, it, it basically subsidizes it down to about $5 so an African family can buy one. And the reason I bring this topic up, because I'm so passionate about it, really around health and livelihoods as much as emissions, is that the conversation is back on the table because the African countries are standing up for what they need. And Kenya specifically has a goal of 100% clean cooking by 2028. And they're looking for investment to flow in to help them do this. And this is where I think it's really exciting. And that probably brings me to the third wrap of it, which is seeing the world come together at COP. You know, it's going to take all of us leaning in to really achieve net zero by 2050, but even more importantly, achieve the pathway to net zero, because I don't think any of us want to test what breaching these, uh, whether it's 1.5 or 2.5, what it feels like. We know this summer had incredible climate-related um, uh, impacts around the world, whether it's flooding or heat or, you know, and I, I think 
now is the time. And that's what the, you see going on here at COP. There's announcement after announcement. Now, the activity is always what really needs to happen. And we need to see the outcomes, not just the commitment. But I'm really hopeful by seeing countries, companies, and then private and public sector leaning in to try to come together to make more agreements, because I think that's what it's going to take. Cheerleader here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sherry, for taking us through that. I'll put links to um, some of the pieces that Sherry was just talking about into the words that sit alongside so you guys can uh, go and pick that up and and sort of work with it as well. I'm going to draw our conversation to a close. I know you've got to dash off and and I'm therefore curious, what's next for you? Where are you off to? What does the remainder of your day at COP28 look like? And also sort of, you know, moving forward. Well, my first activity is to figure out what shoes I will be wearing because there is so much walking. I have to um, balance blisters. So today is a very full day from blue zone to green zone meeting with corporate clients and investors, industry partners and peers, really trying to move forward. What activity can we do to drive more impact? So it's an exciting um, set of days here. A lot is getting done and I'm back out hitting the sidewalk soon. There's nothing like blisters on blisters in like 30 mm-hmm. degrees heat. <laughs> for anybody who's for anybody who's not here, it's not that uh, it's not that cool here. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. definitely not. But there is, but you're absolutely right. There is. It feels like there's a lot of climate business being done, and you know you've got to make the incentives right for everybody to be able to come to this party. Uh, Sherry, a massive thank you. Mega good luck with the work that you're doing. I'd love to catch up with you at some point. You know, find out how you're getting on and hopefully hopefully we can all lean into this together so massive thank you for spending some time with us this morning thank you katie it's been a pleasure and if you like what you've heard today please do rate and subscribe to us i would also love to hear your feedback so please do drop me a line at any time i'm katie at businessfightspoverty.org many thanks brought to you by business fights poverty